0: When I ask you to explain, you find excuses and complain You always underestimate my brain
1: It's Wednesday. Welcome to Wednesday, everybody. You might be wondering, why am I so excited it's a Wednesday? Well, I'll tell you why. Because on this Wednesday, there's baseball in St. Louis. We're playing the Royals today in, a, in an exhibition game. And yes, this fa- the, the, the the stands are going to be empty, but we can watch it on television. And then the season opens Friday. Baseball is back. Boy, have we needed baseball. And also, I guess we're going to have NBA basketball and hockey coming back. And before you know it, football season's going to be here. So, I don't know. It's going to be a little weird watching it without people in the stands. But still, it's great to have sports back. And the other reason Wednesday's great is it's Old Time Radio Detective and Mystery Day here on the best Old Time Radio podcast podcast. And I am Bob Rowe, your host, and I'm glad to have you along. So make yourself comfortable because we're going to get started with a great detective series in just a moment. Wednesday,
0: such a groovy Wednesday.
1: This Wednesday, I hope you are ready for a little Joe Friday and Frank Smith action. Because we have an episode of Dragnet. Actually, we have a double episode. This was a two-part story, and it aired on back-to-back weeks. December 28, 1952, and January 3, in 1953, these two episodes played. Now, I have very skillfully uh, put them together so they sound like one big episode. And the name of this one is The Big Mask, parts one and two. You know, Dragnet fell into this, in my opinion, kind of a trap. They, they wanted to name everything the big this and the big that. You know, the big gulp, the big gun, the big bullet, the big confession uh, every show had that, and to me, this one doesn't much fit. I mean, yeah, there's a mask involved, but it's on a guy that's five foot two, and I don't know why it's the big mask. But anyway, it's a pretty good episode. Sound quality's good, and it does have uh, Ben Alexander in it, and that always makes it better. So here we go. Jack Webb is Joe Friday, and Ben Alexander is Frank Smith in Dragnet, the big mask. <laughs>
2: Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. The names have been changed to protect the innocent. You're a detective sergeant. A series of holdups takes place in your city. The victims are managers of large markets. You've got a description of the suspect. Your job get him.
3: It was Thursday, February 7th. It was raining in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Didion. My name's Friday. I was on the way back from R&I, and it was 8.42 a.m. when I got to room 27A. Robbery. Hey, you, Joe? Yeah.
4: Where you been?
3: Down to R&I. Oh, I'm sorry I'm late. No, there's no problem. Couldn't get the car started. The battery was dead. I had to call the gas station and have them get me started. Well, don't worry about it. It's okay. Anything here in the book? No. Checked him when I got in. Had a 211 out in Westwood last night. Same M.O. Might be the guy. Who's checking it? Murph and Creasy. Went out there this morning. Right. Here's the stuff we got last night. R and I went through it. Doesn't look like they got anything. You seen the skipper yet? Oh, I saw him come in. I didn't talk to him. Came in, went to his office carrying a bottle of milk. Well, that figures. He's like a barometer, isn't he, Joe? When there's no milk on his desk, you know everything's under control. Yeah. As soon as that milk comes out, you know the ulcers are grinding. Yeah, I suppose. I must be real rough on him, though. The way the papers have been yakking about this thing. I saw Captain Jack this morning on the way in. Yeah. He said the corner pocket's leaning all over him. Well, there's gotta be an answer someplace. A guy can't just keep walking into the stores and walking out again. He's gotta make a mistake someplace. Yeah. What's that figure? Six jobs so far? Yeah, six of them. Every one of them he's made it clean. Hot shot. I'll get it. Well, those figures were wrong. Yeah? He just made it seven. <laughs> two months, a holdup man had been hitting markets throughout the central area. In each case, the description of the bandit was the same. His M.O. tallied with that used in other robberies. In each instance, the bandit had been waiting for the manager of the market when the store was opened. At gunpoint, the suspect would force the manager to accompany him around the market. He'd push a wire food cart in front of him as they walked. He'd pick up various merchandise and place it in the basket. He'd then force the manager to open the safe, clean it out, lock the manager in a cold storage vault, and walk out of the market, pushing the food cart in front of him. Special stakeouts had been arranged at the markets. Extra units from Metro Division had been assigned to patrol duty, but the holdups continued. 9.22 a.m., Frank and I got to the address of the latest robbery, the county market at the corner of Olympic and Maryland. A radio car was there when we arrived.
5: Come in. Yes, something you wanted?
3: Police officers. It's my partner, Frank Smith. My name's Friday.
5: Hello, I'm Arthur Scott. I'm the manager here. You got that man did this yet? No, sir, not yet. I wonder if you could tell us just what happened. Sure.
3: You know where the other officers are, Mr. Scott?
5: Outside someplace, they were talking to the others, getting names and addresses, something like that.
3: You want to check them, Frank's? Yeah, sure. Fine. Oh, I wonder if you'd mind telling me just what
5: happened. Well, the man was waiting for me when I came in this morning. I don't know how he got in. and just walked up behind me and said that I shouldn't cause any trouble. About what time was this, do you remember? Well, let's see. It must have been about uh, 7.10, 7.15. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I came in the front door. Everything looked all right. Walked back here on my way to the office, he just came up in back of me. Yes, sir. Had this gun, he pointed at me, told me not to cause any trouble, like I said. What kind of a gun was it, would you remember? It was just a gun. He pointed
3: it right at me. Well, I understand that, sir. Do you remember if it was an automatic or a revolver?
5: I guess it was a revolver, a long barrel. Uh-huh. I could see the bullets in it. I knew it was loaded. I wasn't going to mess with him. Yes, sir. And what happened after he walked up to you? He told me that if I went along with him, I wouldn't get hurt. And then he walked me up to the front of the store by the check stands, uh, took one of the baskets, and started to walk along the racks. Made me walk in front of him. Real nervy. Took his time. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, while we walked along, he'd take things out of the displays. What kind of things? Well, you know, uh, different kind of cheeses, uh, caviar, took some special artichoke hearts. Things cost a buck and a half a jar. Expensive. Yes, sir. What did the man look like, Mr.
3: Scott? Can you give us any kind of a description?
5: Well, that's kind of hard. He had on this uh, big overcoat and a brown hat pulled down, and then the black mask over his face. I couldn't get a very good look at him. Well, how old would you say he was? Oh, boy, I'd have to guess on that. Maybe uh, 50, 55. Looked that old anyway. About all I could see was the bottom part of his face, like he was pretty old. Mm -hmm. How about the color of his eyes? Could you see them? Yeah, through the mask, they were blue. Real light blue, kind of watery. About how tall would you say he was? Maybe... uh, Five, two, or three. Short little man. Mm-hmm. How about his weight? Real little, like I said. I, I don't think he weighed more than 130. That'd be outside, too. Was there anything
3: unusual about him? Anything at all that you could remember? No, not that I can remember. Anything in the way he talked? Some accent of any kind? Anything like that? No, nothing at all there. Mm-hmm. How about the coat he was wearing? What color was that? Do you remember?
5: It was a dark brown, sort of a herringbone. Looked real old, like it had been worn for a long time, kind of frayed around the edges of the cuffs. You know, around here like this, and, and the buttonholes on the coat were all torn, too. Oh, excuse me, that's for right ahead. Scott? Yeah? How much? Yeah, and how much case?
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Nah, that's not too bad. Yeah, well, well, order 25 cases of it, huh? We'll use it as a loss leader this weekend. Okay. Well, don't bother me about it now. You do what you think. Okay. Seems like nobody can do anything but you. Give people a little responsibility, they hardly ever know how to use it. Yes, sir. What if you'd go ahead with your story? Hmm? Well, right after this
3: man picked up the food?
5: Oh, well, at first I thought he was going to take that, and then I got to thinking about the stuff in the papers. You know about the black mask bandit? Yes, sir. Well, I got to thinking about that, and then I knew who he was. I tried to get as much information about him as I could. Not much, anyway, but this time. Must have been. Uh, 7.30 or so, Jack Thomas came in. He works in the vegetable department. And right away, this guy said for him to get in the back. You mean back here? No, back in the meat department. Put him right in the refrigerator. Well, what about the other employees? What happened when they came in? He'd make them get back in the refrigerator. Cool. People were pretty lucky. Being as so I was cold outside, most of them had coats on. Would have froze if they didn't have. I understand. Customers, too. They'd come in. He'd put them in the refrigerator. There was 14 people in there when he got through. A couple of kids, too. Came in with their mothers. I see. Well, then he took me back to the safe, made me open it. I thought about saying no, but it's a little safe. You know, down low? Yes, sir. Well, I knelt down to work the combination. I looked up at him, had the gun pointed right at my head. I looked right into the barrel, saw the bullets in the cylinders. I was scared, and I opened the safe. He took the money and put it in a paper bag and dropped it into the basket. And he put you in the refrigerator, too, did he? Yeah, that is, he started to. When he opened the door, the people in there were all shivering, flailing their arms around, trying to keep warm. It's a little room, not much bigger than this, and there wasn't much room to flail. Anyway, they asked him if he wouldn't let him out. He, he said no, but then he asked me if there was someplace else he could put him. And I, I told him that the only place I could think of was another storage room. We use it sometimes when we've got a real big shipment of meat. Don't usually keep it under refrigeration. I see.
3: They let you all go there, huh?
5: Yeah, the darndest thing I ever saw. Fourteen of them. All fourteen herded them just like cattle. Moved them all to the other cooler. They were all so cold they'd have done anything to get out of that one. I tell you, officer, I was scared that one of them might try to be brave about it and cause trouble. I think that guy would have killed him right on the spot. Yes, sir. Well, what did he do then? Well, he locked the door. Then, from when I could see through the cooler window, he just strolled out of the store and down the street. He was still wheeling a basket in front of him. Yes, sir.
3: Anything, Frank? Yeah, Joe. I checked with Wheelock from the radio car. He said they canvassed the neighborhood, came up with a man who thinks he saw the bandit drive away. Was he able to give us any kind of a description on the car? No. Said he saw this guy walking down the street pushing a basket and thought it was kind of funny. Didn't pay too much attention to it. Saw him get into a late model Ford and drive away. Couldn't give a very good description of the car. Said it was a dark color. Not sure about the year. Uh, the guy still had that mask on? No. Didn't have the mask, but the fellow didn't notice anything about his face. Can't help us much there. He's going to come down and look through the mug books. Oh, that's good. Do you have any idea how much money was taken here, sir?
5: Well, no, I can't tell you to the penny, but I figure about 3500 $3,500. You usually keep this much money on hand, do you? No, not as a rule. I didn't get to the bank yesterday. We had an inventory sale going on. I just didn't get the chance.
3: Did the bandit take anything you think might uh, help us identify him? Anything from the safe that you might be able to describe?
5: No, not a thing. Just the money. Of course, that's enough. There wasn't much in there. A wristwatch that was lost here in the store. He looked at that but threw it back into the safe. Was he wearing gloves, do you remember? Yeah, he was. It looked like pigskin, sort of a light tan. Mm-hmm. Oh, I know what you're thinking about fingerprints. No, oh, with those gloves, he wouldn't leave any. Yes, sir. Say, officer. Yeah? You talked to the other officer that was here, the one in the car?
3: Yes, sir, I did.
5: He was kind of in charge of the people in the ice box, took care of them. Was any of them hurt?
3: No, sir. Some of them were pretty cold, but they were all right.
5: Yeah, we keep that box turned way down to sub zero. Yes, sir. I wonder if, as police officers, you'd mind talking to those folks. They're all good customers here. I'd hate to lose them to Frenchy's Fine Foods down the street. Uh, Where's that, sir? Uh, Frenchie's Market, just down the street. He's going to make a big thing out of this. By noontime, it'll be all over the neighborhood. Well, I'm sure none of your customers will blame you, sir. Well, no, officer, it ain't exactly that. That Frenchie's going to make a big reputation on my back. Well, Mr. Scott, markets have been held up before. Yeah, but not with our motto. What's that? We freeze anything. 9.46
3: a.m., Frank and I continued to talk to Arthur Scott. We questioned him about the actions of the holdup man, but he was unable to give us any new information. The crime lab came out and checked the store. The M.O. was the same. He'd entered through a rear window. Tool marks were found, photographs were taken. No other physical evidence was found. 10.14 a.m., we drove back to the office and checked with Captain Didion. Three other teams of men were assigned to help us in interviewing the people who had been locked up in the refrigerator. None of them could add anything to what we already knew. Because of the age of the bandit and the smoothness with which he operated, we had a hunch that he might have served some time in a state prison. Frank and I checked out a trip car and drove up to Folsom Penitentiary. We checked with Warden Heinsey and told him what we wanted. For the next two days, we checked the prison files. We got several possible leads, but when we got back to Los Angeles, none of them led anywhere. Tuesday, February 12th, 8.49 a.m. We checked with Captain Didion.
6: Well, you come up with anything? No, not a thing, Skipper. We checked them all out. Nothing. How much longer do you figure it's going to take you to come up with something we can use? We're doing everything we can. We've run down every lead. They all go nowhere. Yeah, I know. I've been telling the corner pocket that all month. It doesn't prove a thing, and they aren't buying it anymore. Well, Frank and I got an idea, Skipper. It's kind of wild, but
3: I might turn it. Well, let's hear it. Well, if you take a look at the map over here. In the last two months, he's hit seven places here. Here. Through here and up and through here. Not much of a pattern, but maybe there's enough to work on here. Mm -hmm. From the way he's worked in the past, he's gonna be waiting in the stores when the manager comes in. So the problem is to find some way to check the managers after they first get to the stores. So? Well, so most of the stores open about eight o'clock. From what we've been able to check out, the managers get in about oh six thirty to seven. We make arrangements for them to call the office after they're in the stores and they've checked them through. How are you gonna work the calling? Well, Frank and I figured that if we could stagger the call, so we'd get one at, say, 6.30, next one
6: at 6.31
3: or 6.32, you know, and so forth. We allow them five minutes leeway. If we haven't heard from them in that time, then we know something's wrong.
6: See? How many men do you figure you're going to need to do this? Well, maybe two, three
3: other teams. Those and the men from Metro that we have now. It's wild, Skipper, but it's about the only thing we got left. How long will it take you to check with the store owners? Well, maybe two, three days. We figured we'd keep it in this area right over here. There seems to be maybe where he'll hit
6: next, probably. Now, just a minute. Robbery, did he? Yeah. When? Are they sure about the ammo? Mm-hmm. Description? Send it in, will you? Right. Better enlarge that area. What do you mean? He just hit in Sacramento.
3: Tuesday, February 12th, 3.45 p.m. Frank and I talked on the phone to Fritz Kaminsky, chief of police in Sacramento. He told us that the market bandit went through the same sequence of events that had characterized his operations in Los Angeles. First, he took several food items from the display stands in the store, and then he forced the manager to open the safe. After robbing the safe, the thief locked the manager in a meat refrigeration locker and left the store. A witness in the neighborhood saw the suspect leave the store and said that he'd escaped in a late-model dark Ford sedan, he was unable to give as much of a description of the man, but he said that he was elderly, small, and that he'd been dressed in a brown overcoat and a brown hat, and he wore a black mask. There could be little doubt that it was the same man who had been hitting the markets in the Southland. Wednesday, February 13th, Frank and I checked out a trip car, and we drove up to Sacramento. We talked with the victim and with the witness. Both of them were unable to find the thief's picture in the mug books. Stakeouts were arranged on the markets in the Sacramento area, and additional bulletins were gotten out on the Ford sedan. Frank and I returned to Los Angeles and started to set up the plan that we discussed with Captain Didion. Each of the store managers agreed to cooperate, and starting the morning of February 18th, the plan was put into operation. Three weeks passed. The bandit failed to hit again. March 18th, 6.37 a.m.
6: Robbery, Merton. What's that number? Robbery, Smith. Yes, sir. Okay, thanks.
3: Thanks Number 38, okay. Right. Still no word from 34. We better get ready to roll on it. Let's see. That's that supermarket on Palmetto Avenue. That's right. Let's go. Murph. Yeah? Catch the rest of the calls, will you? Yeah, sure, Joe. What do you think, Joe? I don't know. Let's find out. It took us a little over five minutes to get to the store on Palmetto. As we went by the place, we couldn't see anyone through the front windows. The store looked empty. Frank pulled the car into the parking lot next door to the store, and we walked around to the front. How about it? No, I can't see anything from here. You want to cover the bank? Yeah. I'll give you time to get back there, then I'll go in the front. Right, watch it.
6: I tell you, I don't know the combination.
7: I don't want any trouble. Huh? I'm trying to be nice. I don't want to hurt you. I open the safe and everything will be all right. You read the papers. You know about me. Now do what I say, nothing will. Happen. All right,
3: mister, let's hold it right there. Police officers, put that gun
7: down. Hey, watch it, you, Joe. He's
3: coming at you. Get out of my way. All right, come here. Go. You okay, Joe? Yeah, I got him,
7: Frank. Want to shake him down? Right. Here. You got him? You got the gun? Yeah, we got him. I was sure scared there for a minute. I tried to think about how I was going to stall him long enough for you to get here.
3: Yeah. He's clean, Joe. All right, come on, mister, on your feet. Come on. What's your name?
7: Clark. Leonard Clark. All right, let's go. You want me to go along with you?
3: Yeah,
7: well, why you not you make a crime report? Fine, I'll, I'll do anything to help try to rob me. Lousy deal. Might have known something was wrong the way that guy played it. Should have known. Yeah, sure. You figure me for the guy you're looking for, this black mask bandit the papers has been yawking about? That's the way we figure it. Well, too bad, fellas. You can't make me for it. Is that right? Yeah, you're looking for somebody else. You got the wrong man. How old are you, Clark? 52. Ever serve any big time? Sure. What's that proof? Well, the way you look, the way you work this one, even the mask, we made you for it. Only one thing. What's that? You gotta prove it.
3: a.m., we took Leonard Clark downtown to the city hall. We talked to him for about an hour. He admitted trying to hold up the market, but he insisted that he was not the black-mask bandit. He told us that he'd read about the holdups in the paper and that it seemed like an easy way to pull a robbery. He told us that he'd used a pinch bar to jimmy a rear window in the market, and then he entered the place. He told us that he'd waited for the manager to come in, and then he tried to get him to open the safe. Sergeants Murphy and Creasy went out to his home. They found nothing there to tie him in with the other robberies. A check through R&I showed a record on Clark, listing two convictions for 211 and one count of 245 P.C. He'd served time at both San Quentin and Folsom penitentiaries, as well as some of the Eastern penitentiaries. Mug shots of Clark were shown to the victims of the black Mask bandit, and they said that it was a possibility that he could be the man who'd robbed them. Friday, March 21st, a special show-up was arranged, and the victims were asked to be present. We explained that the questions asked were for the express purpose of acquainting the victims with the suspect's voice. Clark was brought out on the stage and asked his name.
7: Leonard Clark. What were you arrested for? I don't know. You must know what you're being held for. They say I'm the black mask bandit. Are you? No.
3: Were you armed when you were arrested? Huh? Were you armed when you were arrested? Yeah. What kind of weapon were you carrying?
7: 38 revolver.
3: Leonard, could you speak a little louder, please?
7: 38 revolver.
3: How long have you been in jail?
7: Since Tuesday.
3: Where were you arrested?
7: Market out on South Palmetto.
3: It's a long street. Where on South Palmetto?
7: 1721, South Palmetto.
3: What were you doing there?
7: I was arrested for trying to hold up the place.
3: You ever done any big time? Huh? I say you ever done any big time? Yeah. Where?
7: At killed Folsom.
3: What'd you do the time for, Leonard? Which time? Let's take them in order. How about Quentin?
7: Five life, life for robbery. How about Folsom? Same thing.
3: You owe any time now?
7: Yeah, I'm on parole.
3: Joe. Yeah? Ask him to turn around, Woody. you? The victims can't see him too good. All right. Leonard, take a quarter turn to your left. No, 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 Leonard, to your left. All right, now another quarter turn. Another quarter turn. Now another quarter turn. No, no, same way. Another quarter turn. Now face the front, Leonard. Where do you live?
7: Out in Hollywood. Where? Corner of DeLon Priam and Monroe, apartment house.
3: It's a good-sized corner. Which apartment?
7: Ashley Arms, apartment 604.
3: What do you do for a living?
7: I'm a copner. A what? Copner, copner, I said. You work steady? Yeah. Who do you work for? I'm a carpenter for a contractor named Gagely.
3: Now look straight, will you, Leonard? Straight ahead. Yeah. You remember where you were on February 7th? That was a Thursday. No. You got no idea at all? Not at all. You own a car? Yeah. What make is it?
7: There's a Ford.
3: Speak up, will you, Leonard? We can't hear you.
7: A Ford. Ford. What color is it? Dark blue. What year? 1950.
3: All right, Leonard. Now, would you step over to the side of the stage? No, no, the other way. The side of the stage. How's it look, Frank? Nothing yet. manager at the county market seems to think it's him. The others aren't sure. Yeah. Well, maybe when we get the coat and mask on, it'll help. Those clothes, Leonard, are they yours? Yeah, they're mine. How about that mask? That belong to you, too? yeah would you put the mask on well just put it on that's it now put the hat on not the way you usually wear it that's right all right take a quarter turn to your left no leonard your left that's it now again and again once more all right now face forward no, all the way around Come on, Leonard Straightforward, office. that's it Yeah Now repeat these words Just be quiet and you won't get hurt
7: Just be quiet and you won't get
3: hurt Now say, open the safe and don't cause any trouble
7: Open the safe and don't cause any trouble A little louder, Leonard Open the safe and don't cause any trouble
3: All right, Leonard, you can take the mask off How many times have you been arrested? I don't know About how many times did you say?
7: Maybe 15, something like
3: that. What'd you fall for?
7: Suspicion. Suspicion of what? A lot of things. They
3: didn't nail me for How old are you now, Leonard?
7: 52.
3: How old were you when you were arrested the first time? 16. You've had quite a life,
7: haven't you? Yeah, I fell among evil companions. All right, Leonard, that's all. Well, how about it, Mr. Scott?
5: Yeah, I can't be sure, Sergeant, but I think that's a man.
3: Can I see a minute, Joe? Mm Mm-mm. Scott just gave a tentative identification. Yeah? Well, he's the only one. What do you mean? The others say we got the wrong man. 11.45 p.m. We returned Leonard Clark to his cell. Frank and I continued to question the victims of the black-masked bandit. Only one of them was able to give us a tentative identification. Clark would be filed on the following morning for attempting to rob the market on Palmetto Avenue pending investigation on the other charges. The working detective has come to know that many times at a show-up, identifying witnesses sometimes become confused, sometimes fail to speak up for one reason or another, sometimes due to fear, the idea of incriminating a man, thus making the officer's task of bringing a suspect to justice all the more difficult. In spite of the lack of identifying witnesses, Frank and I felt reasonably sure that we had the black-masked bandit in custody. The following morning, March 22nd, we checked into the office to fill out the follow-up forms. You know, Joe, I just can't figure it. He's got to be it. He's got the motive, the opportunity, everything. Yeah, M.O. matches. We got him on one count anyway. What happens now? I guess we just wait. If there aren't any more holdups. we know we got the right guy. It's about the only way you can do it. Anyway, you slice it, Clark's finished. The court gets through with him. This time they'll nail him for life. Yeah, I suppose so. He sure looks like the guy to me, though. I tell you, Joey's got to be it. Everything fits with him, all the way down the line. That's what I figured, too. Friday,
6: Smith? Yes. Yeah, Skipper. Call from Hollywood Division, just had one at 3rd and Selma. Yeah, what about it? Black Mask Bandit? We haven't got him.
2: The story you have just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On July 17th, trial was held in Department 89, Superior Court of the State of California, in and for the County of Los Angeles. Leonard Stanley Clark was tried and convicted of attempted robbery. Because of his previous criminal record, he was sentenced to life imprisonment without possibility of parole. He is now serving his term in the state penitentiary, Folsom, California.
3: It was Saturday, March 22nd. It was cold in Los Angeles. We were working the day watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Frank Smith. The boss is Captain Didion. My name's Friday. We are on our way out from the office, and it was 9 36 a.m. when we got to 4623 Linwood. Bakery shop.
6: Yes, sir. Can I help you?
3: Police officers, ma'am.
6: Oh, yes. You want to see Mr. Jenkins. He's in the back. Uh, right through that door.
3: Thank you, ma'am. How is Mr. Jenkins?
6: Well, he's all right. Got a bad cut on his head. The ambulance was here.
3: Uh huh. Do you know if there are any witnesses?
6: I don't know. The other officers are checking it now, I guess.
3: Mm-hmm. About how long have they been here?
6: I'd say ten minutes.
3: All right, ma'am. Thank you. Who is it? Police officer, sir. My name's Friday. It's my partner, Frank Smith.
5: Oh, well, what happened to the other officer? Well,
3: he left, Mr. Jenkins. A couple of questions we'd like to ask you about this.
5: Yeah, sure. Pull up at there.
3: Thanks very much. Thank
5: you. you feel all right, sir? Yeah, headaches a little, but I feel okay guy from the ambulance said I should see my own doctor. I don't know when I'm going to get time to do that. It's nothing serious, a little cut. Yes, sir. Would you tell us just what happened here? It sure, there's not much to it. Where do you want me to start?
3: Well, what time did the man come in?
5: I well, see. It must have been about 6.30 this morning. I was just frying the donuts. I heard this knock on the back door and I let him in.
3: What did he look like, sir?
5: Well, just like the descriptions in the paper. That's how I knew it was the black-masked bandit. He had the overcoat on, the hat, and the mask on his face. Was he carrying a gun? Yeah, it looked like thirty-eight revolver, a long barrel. Uh-huh. What happened then? Well, at first I couldn't figure it. You know, I'd written a paper where he was robbing markets. I couldn't figure what he was doing in a bakery.
3: He was alone then, huh?
5: Yeah, at least I couldn't see anybody with him. All right, go ahead, sir. Well, he came in and sat down, told me to go ahead with what I was doing. Sat right over there in that chair. Uh-huh. leaned back against the wall and just talked. What did he talk about, do you remember? Just not, nothing special. Then he asked me to hand him one of the doughnuts I'd finished, said he wanted one of the chocolate ones. I gave it to him, he just leaned back and ate it. I see. I asked him what he wanted, uh, why the gun, you know? Yes. He said he didn't want me to get any bright ideas, and he asked me how much money I had. Yeah. I told him I only had about 150 bucks, and he said that wasn't much. I said it wasn't, but it's all I had, and then I asked him if he was going to rob me. What'd he say to that? He said he probably would. Mm-hmm. All
3: this time, did he keep the mask on?
5: Yeah, he never took it off.
3: How long was he here?
5: Well, he got here, like I said, at 6.30. He left about 8.15, just before Vera came in. She's the one who found me. Vera? Yeah, she's the girl who takes care of the store. You probably saw her out front when you came oh, in. Oh, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Well, I finished up with the donuts, and then I asked him if he'd like a drink. I said I had some brandy locked up, and I asked him if he'd like a shot.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: He said he would. I went over to get it. I, I keep it over there in that cupboard. And when I walked over, I had to walk right in front of him. Yeah. Well, you probably know it gets pretty hot in a bakery, the ovens and all. I guess he was kind of relaxed. Yeah. When I walked by him, I grabbed his gun, took it right out of his hands, and he jumped up and told me to hand it over to him, said for me to give it back, and I wouldn't get hurt. I told him he had the shoe on the wrong foot that I was calling things now. Yes, sir. What'd do he do then? Well, if I hadn't seen it with my own eyes, if it hadn't happened to me, I'd never believe it. What's that? When I took the gun away from him, he looked real surprised. That's when I told him that I was the boss, and he just stood up and started to walk toward me. I told him to stop. I pointed the gun at him, told him to stay where he was. Yeah. But he didn't stop. He kept coming right at me. I told him again, but he kept right on walking. And then I fired at him. Well, it wasn't any farther away from him than 10, maybe 15 feet. Didn't hit him, so I pulled the trigger again. Shot right at him six times. Right at him. He just kept walking at me. Now, at first, I thought the shells in the gun were blanks. And then I could see where the bullets were hitting. Well, there, you can see a couple of them in the wall. I couldn't believe my eyes. I missed him every time. What did he do right after you shot at him? When I fired the last shot, the gun clicked a couple of times. He just stopped and laughed. He said that I'd run out of bullets and that I'd better give the gun to him. Did you? Yeah, I threw it at him as hard as I could. I missed him then, too. The gun hit the floor and I could see the sparks fly, and then he picked it up and came after me. I didn't think I'd be in much trouble. He looked so little, but when he grabbed at me, I knew I'd had it. That man had hands like a vice. Mm-hmm. He grabbed my arm and hit me on the head right right here. Knocked me out. He came to and Vera came in. The guy was gone, so was the money. Where'd you keep this money? In my pocket. I had in my wallet. I don't, I don't usually put it in the cash register until Vera gets in. Oh, I see.
3: Now, you said that when the gun hit the floor, you saw the sparks fly from it. Is that
5: right? Yeah. You know, uh, like when you hit a piece of flint with another rock, like the Boy Scout. Yeah. You know, like that.
3: Did you notice if the gun seemed damaged in any way?
5: No, I didn't have time to notice anything. Right after that, he hit me. Uh-huh. I wonder if you would give us a description of the man. Well, sure, like I told the other officers, he was a little man, real old. How old would you say? Oh, maybe 50 or so, not any younger. You're pretty sure about that, are you? Yeah. About how tall? Maybe 5'2", not any more than that. Kind of hard to tell with that big coat on. It looked like it was five or six sizes too big. It looked kind of funny at first, then you realized who he was, and it wasn't funny anymore. Mm-hmm. I wasn't too scared of him when I first saw him, even when he came at me, but when he grabbed my arm, I knew I had trouble. Yes, sir. Still can't understand. it. six shots and I didn't hit him once. I tell you, the guy's not human.
3: Well, he's scoring pretty good for a ghost. 10.02 a.m. The crew from the crime lab came out and went over the bakery. Ray Pinker removed the slugs from the wall on the floor and took them back to the lab. The bandit, as usual, had worn gloves, so there was no possibility for fingerprints. A search of the neighborhood failed to turn up any new leads. None of the people in the immediate area had seen anyone answering the description of the black mask bandit. Additional supplementary bulletins were gotten out, and all of the cars in the surrounding vicinity were alerted. The stats office had made run after run on the M.O. of the bandit. The leads they gave us were all checked out. All gunsmiths were alerted in the event that the suspect's weapon had been damaged and that he might try to have it repaired. All leads were checked and rechecked. They netted us nothing. Informants were questioned and re-questioned. The plan that had been worked out for checking with the managers of the supermarkets in the city was continued. Three weeks passed. The bandit hit again, this time a market just outside of Eagle Rock. The M.O. was the same as had been used in the previous robberies, however, in this one instance, the market didn't have a storage refrigerator, so the thief locked the manager in a back room. In locking the door, the suspect had taken off his gloves, and Leighton Prince was able to lift a partial print from the doorknob. It wasn't enough for classification, but Bergman said that if we apprehended the man, he'd be able to identify him for us. June came and went. July, August. The bandit had been operating without interference for almost a year. He'd widened his theater of operations. Reports had come in from San Francisco to Stockton, from San Diego to Pomona. In each case, the suspect seemed to know what markets were being staked out, and he stayed away from them. The legwork continued without result. Tuesday, August 19th, Frank and I checked back into the office. Man, I never see it to fail. Every time we have lunch at Sal's, I eat too much. Yeah, he puts out a good lunch, then. Too good. Want to check the book? Right. Anything?
6: i call from Jerry.
3: Informant?
6: Yeah. Says he can't get with me tonight. He'll call in the morning. Righty, Smith? Yeah, Skipper. Yeah. Come on in here, will you? Right away. Sit down. All right. Well, what is it? You guys been on this black mask thing how long now? Well, that's going on a year, isn't it? And you're no closer to him than you were when you started. Not much. You know you're tying up half the minute metro. You got this town covered like a blanket and you still can't turn the guy. We're doing everything we can, Skipper. I've been telling you for the last six months that I wasn't going to buy that anymore. I mean it this time. Just exactly what have you got on the guy?
3: Well, I think you know it just as well as we do, Skipper. Description, M.O., even the partial print Bergman lifted from that place out in Eagle Rock. We've been over it a hundred times. is isn't a lead that we haven't run out and then checked over again. Nothing new on the information from Folsom? No, nothing. We've had 5,000 circulars printed. They're scattered all over the country. Doesn't look like the guy's ever done time before. The way he works, you'd think he knew exactly what we were doing. We cover the markets, he hits the bakeries. We cover the bakeries in L.A., he hits in San Diego. They cover the stores, then he hits up north. Where we are, he ain't. How about the car, the Ford? No, nothing. We got no license. You ever hear anything on the damaged gun? No, he never tried to have it fixed that we can find out about. He's gotten a hold of another gun someplace. The latest reports say he's using a revolver with a two-inch barrel. Well, where do he stand now? I don't know. We got every store from La Siena to Alameda covered. From Hollywood Boulevard south to Jefferson. Big area. Yeah, it's a lot of stores, too. There's a cruiser car or a cop in or near every large store and bakery in that area. Every police unit in the city is looking for the guy. If he hits again, we should get him. you Friday? Yeah, Murph.
7: A call just came in from Wilshire. Figure you
3: want it. Here you go. Thank you. What is it? we got the whole town waiting for him with open arms. Everything's set, and he pulls a switch. What is it, Friday? The black-masked bandit. He's going in for kidnapping now. local broadcast stated that the manager of one of the big supermarket chains in the city had been taken from his home about 2.30 in the morning. The bandit forced him to drive to the store and open the safe. The thief then bound the manager and left the premises. The manager gave us a complete description of the bandit and locals and APBs were gotten out on him. In this instance, the thief didn't use his own car. He forced the manager to drive his car to the market. The manager told us that when they'd left the house, he hadn't seen any other cars on the streets. Tuesday, August 19th, 5.20 p.m. Frank and I got in touch with Lieutenant Dick Tiernan of the Sheriff's Robbery Squad. Together with him, we worked out a plan to try to keep the homes of the managers under surveillance. In addition to this, men from the Sheriff's Department aided in canvassing the houses of the owners and managers. Each car was assigned three houses, while other cars covered three markets each. A month passed. The Black Mask Bandit hit five times, each time in areas which were not under direct surveillance. Friday, September 26, 5.20 a.m. We got a call at home that there had been another kidnapping, this time an elderly market manager and his wife. Frank and I drove out to see them. The radio unit had returned them to their home.
8: Yes? Mr. Gunther? That's right. Police officers, Mr. Gunther. Oh, yes. Come in. You have some sort of identification? Yes, sir. Here's my ID card. My name's Friday. This is my partner, Frank Smith. How, How do you do? Mr. Gunther. Come into the living room, won't you? Thank you very much, sir. Sit down. Hope you didn't mind my asking about your identification. Just that the way things have been happening, you can't be too sure. Yes, sir, we understand. I wonder if you'd mind telling us what happened. Sure, awful thing. Awful. Just can't believe that a man his days would do a thing like this. Seems that he'd know not to be so cruel. Yes, sir.
3: Just what did happen?
8: Well, last night, must have been about 2 or 2.30, I woke up with this flashlight shining in my eyes. Mm-hmm. First, I didn't know what it was. Just this uh, real bright light, you know. Yes, sir. Well, right away, of course, I knew there was somebody else in the room. About that time, Agnes woke up. Agnes is my wife. Yes, sir. Anyway, she woke up, wanted to know what was going on. I told her I didn't know. All this time, that light didn't move. Just stayed in one place and showing right in my eyes. Yes, sir. Then we heard this voice tell us to get out of bed. Said he wanted me to go with him. I told him to get out of the house, said I didn't want any trouble. If he wanted money, he'd find all we had in the house right on the dresser with my wallet. Mm
3: Mm-hmm. Could you see who the person was, sir?
8: No, not then. Uh, The the light and all. But I got out of bed and then I could see a little old man with a black mask over his eyes. How could you tell his age, sir? Well, just could, that's all. Little beady eyes and his mouth mean. Never saw a mouth like that on a young man. His voice was old, I could tell. Yes, sir. Well, he told me to get dressed, said that I should hurry up about it. Was he armed? Could you tell that? Yes, I could see it. He was holding a gun. All this time, Agnes was yelling at him to get out of the house. She's not well, you know. Yes, sir. Agnes, she has a bad heart. Uh-huh. Been with a doctor for years, takes pills and medicine. That's the big reason that I did what he said. I didn't want there to be any trouble to get Agnes excited. I understand. Well, finally I told him if he'd get out of the room and leave her alone, I'd do what he wanted. Not to give him any cause to hurt anyone. Uh-huh. Then he did about the meanest thing he could have done. Told Agnes to get out of bed. Said for her to get up and get dressed and go with us. Just can't understand why he'd want to do a thing like that. Just plain meanness. Yes, yeah, so Did your wife do what he said? Well, at first she said she wouldn't do it. Really told him off. I thought he'd maybe get mad and hit her. He's mean enough to do it. Hmm. And finally I asked her to do what he wanted. Figured that'd be the easiest way of getting him out of the place. I thought that maybe I could talk him out of taking her with us, but I couldn't. He made you leave the house, then? Yeah. Told me to get the car out of the garage, and then he and Agnes get in the back seat. Made me drive down to the store. Did you notice any other
3: cars in the area? Any cars parked near your house that weren't usually there?
8: No. On the way to the store, though, I saw a police car. I thought about trying to attract their attention. He must have thought about it, too, though. Why'd he say that? Well, he told me that if I did anything to call attention to us, he'd kill Agnes. I think he would have, too. I didn't do anything to get him upset. Yes, sir. Well, we got to the market, and he made me open the safe, and then he took the money and tied us up. I begged him not to tie Agnes. I've never done that before, Sergeant. I'm 52, and I've never begged a man for anything. But I did this time. Begged him not to kill Agnes. I knew that if he tied her up like he said he was going to, it'd kill her. Pleaded with him, but it didn't do any good. Tied her up and put that tape over her mouth. One thing I can say for him, though, just one. He called the police and told them where we were. If he hadn't have done that, I think we'd have both died. Agnes almost suffocated. Where's your wife now, Mr. Gunther? In the other room. Doctor's with her. He gave her a sedative. Awful thing, Sergeant. I just don't know how anyone could be that mean. No, just one reason we can think of. What's that? He's had a lot of practice.
3: 11.30 a.m. We talked to Mrs. Gunther. She told us pretty much the same story that we'd gotten from her husband... The police car in the area was contacted, but they reported that they hadn't noticed the Gunther car. The unit that was patrolling the area around the store was contacted. They reported that they had checked the store at 3.15 a.m. At that time, there were no lights and no suspicious cars in the vicinity. The black-mask bandit had been working for over a year. In that time, he'd robbed 59 stores that we knew of. His theater of operations had taken him from northern California right down to the Mexican border, from the desert to the beach. He'd stolen approximately a half a million dollars. The entire nation had received communications carrying the description of the suspect. The entire facilities of the police and sheriff's departments in Los Angeles were devoted to apprehending him. Thousands of man hours had gone into stakeouts and searches. None of them produced any results. As the case grew in importance, robbery detail began to get an average of 30 calls a day from well-meaning citizens with information. Every lead, no matter how remote, had to be checked out. This meant more hours of legwork and interrogation. Every officer in the Southland was looking for the bandit. Every car and motorcycle on the streets had his description. None of it did any good. Thursday, October 2nd, 11.05 p.m. Frank and I checked back into the office. Well, there's another one that didn't go anyplace. Yeah. You want to fill out the reports, I'll check the book. Yeah. Never fails, does it, Joe? What's that? Oh, something like this one comes along. Some people use it to get back at their neighbors. Take that deal tonight. Pretty silly, huh? I'd like to know who gave us that tip. There's something kind of sneaky about anonymous phone calls. Well, we'd miss a lot of breaks if we didn't get them. Yeah. You figure we're going to nail this guy? Who knows, I'm getting a little punchy. Every time we miss him, we get another pasting. Have you read the papers lately? Well, you got to expect that, Frank. They're probably calling it the way it looks to them. There's yeah. only one way to answer miss that's to nail the guy. I'll get it. Robbery, Friday. Yeah, that's... Well, what's that? Can you speak a little louder? I can't... That's better. What? Uh-huh. When did this happen? Yeah, what's the address out there? Yeah, the street. Now, give me the number. That's right. All right, you bet. We'll take care of it. Right. Bye. Looks like something here. Market manager's son. Yeah? Says someone's just kidnapped his father. 11.23 p.m. Frank and I checked the manager's name on the list. We got the address, and seven minutes later, we pulled up in front of the store. In the rear of the store, we could see two men. One was dressed in a bathrobe, the other in a large overcoat with a brown hat pulled down over his eyes. Parked in front of the store was a dark blue 1951 Lincoln. We checked the car and found that it bore the registration of Donald Anderson, the manager. Frank went around to the rear door of the market, and I covered the front entrance. We waited. At 11.42 p.m., the bandits started for the front door. All right, Mr. Police Officer, hold it up there. Come on, drop the gun. Give it up. Cop, get out of here! Frank, cover the other side of the building. He's
7: going for that fence, Joe.
3: All right, come on, mister. Give it up. You all right, Joe? Yeah. Come on, let's get over this fence. All right. He's not over here. We missed him. He must have got over that wall. I'll get back to the car and notify the radio units. All right. You think you hit him? I don't know. I might have. Let's check the ground by the fence. You got your flashlight? Yeah, here it is. Hold it, Joe. Yeah? Here by the fence. Oh, yeah. Bloodstains, quite a few of them. I'll stay here and check. Okay, I'll be right back. Watch yourself. Yeah. Uh Unit 1K-8O to Control-1. Unit 1K-8O to Control-1. While attempting to arrest Market Bandit during commission of robbery, he exchanged fire with suspect. Suspect is known to be wounded. Suspect armed, use caution. Suspect seen fleeing on foot. All cars and area converge on corner Figueroa and Woodlawn. Suspect described as WMA. 50 to 55 years. 130 to 140 pounds. Block off area at Vernon to Slauson. At Vernon to Slauson. And from Figueroa to Maine. Suspect last seen going through houses at 49th and Figueroa. That's 49 9 in Figueroa.
4: Roger, one Kato. Attention, all units. Attention, all units. All units in the vicinity of 49th and Figueroa. Robbery suspect wounded while attempting robbery of market. Suspect described as a 50 to 55 years, 130 to 140 pounds. Lock off area at Vernon to Slauson. Vernon to Slauson and from Figueroa to Main Streets. Suspect, last seen going through houses at 49th and
1: Figueroa.
3: Unit 1K80 to Control-1. Unit 1K80 to Control-1. Control-1, Unit
1: 1K80, go in.
3: Suspect is known to be armed. Approach with caution. Use caution. Unit 1K80 to Control-1, KMA 367.
4: All units, robbery suspect at 49th and Figueroa. Known to be armed. Approach with caution. Repeat. Approach.
3: With caution. What do you figure, Frank? Well, he's in here someplace. Let's find him. In the next three hours, 37 police cars combed the area. Every possible hiding place was investigated. A house-to-house search was started. Citizens were asked to lock their doors and to open their homes to no one. In one of the yards, we found the hat and coat worn by the suspect, but apparently he'd made good his escape. Broadcasts were gotten out to the entire city, putting them on the alert. Additional officers were sent to the blockaded area to help with the search Captain Didion came out from the office to direct the operations 3.30 a.m. The area had been checked and rechecked No sign of the suspect Frank and I went back to our car I don't know, Joe The guy's got us jinxed Seems like everything we do, he's got to speak It doesn't make much sense, does it? We got to turn him sometime Yeah, we've been saying that for a year Didion was sure in a rare mood tonight. Well, he's got trouble with his stomach again. I'm going to have trouble with mine if this keeps up much longer. Joe. Car. Yeah, take the other side of it. All right. All right, come on out of the car, mister. Come on, we know you're there. Get out.
7: Get out of here, cop!
3: Come on, throw that gun out here. You can't go anywhere. Give it up before you get killed.
7: I ain't coming out. Don't you try to come after me. You yeah, haven't got a chance. I dropped the gun. <laughs>
6: All
3: right, all right, I quit. Got no more shells, I can't fight anymore. I quit, I quit! Please don't shoot anymore. All right, throw that gun out here. Come on. All right, now get out of the car. Keep those hands up. Put them behind your head. Hey, right, come on over here, turn around. Put your hands against the car. Straight out in front of
7: you. I'll shake. it. Hey, you are gonna call an ambulance for me? I'm hurt. Hey, can't you see I'm hurt? Ain't you gonna do anything for me?
3: Right
7: here. Here.
3: get your hands behind you. Want to put in a call for the ambulance? Right. You didn't have to shoot. I would have stopped if I'd known you was cops. You got trouble with your ears? No. We told you we were officers. You built this thing. We just went along with you.
1: A lousy deal anyway. I should have stopped. I should have quit when I was ahead. If I'd have stopped you guys, would have never caught me. Never.
3: They're on the way, Joe. Good. What's your name, mister? Jerry. Jerry Rogers. How old are you?
8: Thirty-five.
3: All this time, we're looking for an old man. How do you figure it, Joe? I don't know. Gray hair, big overcoat, that mask. Witnesses didn't get too good to look at him. Yeah. You ever been arrested, Rogers?
7: Yeah, once. Is that ambulance
3: ever going to get here? It's coming. What'd you fall for? Huh? What were you arrested for?
7: Drunk driving.
1: Oh, I should have quit. I should have laid off.
3: Yeah, it's too bad you didn't figure it that way a little sooner.
7: Look, I don't want any morals. When's
3: that ambulance going to get here? Don't worry about it, Rogers. Huh? You got a lot of time.
2: The story you have just heard was true. The names were changed to protect the innocent. On February 4th, trial was held in Department 87, Superior Court of the State of California in and for the County of Los Angeles. Gerald Stephen Rogers was tried and found guilty of 12 counts of robbery in the first degree and four counts of kidnapping. He was sentenced to life imprisonment in the state penitentiary, San Quentin, California. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.H. Parker, Los Angeles Police Department. Technical advisors, Captain Jack Donahoe, Sergeant Marty Wins, Sergeant Vance Brasher. Heard tonight were Ben Alexander, Ralph Moody, Harry Bartell, Jack Crucian. Script by John Robinson. Music by Walter Schumann. Hal Gibney speaking. <laughs>
1: have it dragnet the big mask parts one and two as originally heard in december of 52 and january of 1953 what was that guy driving what did he say a 50 ford 49 ford i remember as i when when i was a kid my dad bought a i think it was a 49 ford and it was a lemon it was a limit. I mean, we had more. He had more problems with that car. It wasn't my problem at the time. But I, I've, since then, I, I've looked back at those cars and I've thought to myself, they're the, about the only thing uglier than a nineteen forty nine Ford is a nineteen fifty Ford, and about the only thing uglier than a nineteen fifty Ford is a nineteen fifty fifty one Ford. Anyway, that's my opinion. All right. Here's a song I bet you haven't heard in a very long time.
0: She was only 16, on the 16. I loved her so. But she was too young to fall in love. And I was too young to know. We'd laugh and we'd sing and do the little things. That made my heart glow But she was too young To fall in love And I was too young to know Why did I give my heart so fast It never will happen again But I was a mere lad of sixteen I've aged a year since then She was on the sixteen On the sixteen With eyes that would glow But she was too young To fall in love And I was too young To know Then why
2: did you give Your heart so fast
0: Boy it never will happen Again
2: But you were a mirror of sixteen,
0: I've aged a year since then. She was only sixteen, on the sixteen, with eyes that would glow. But she was too young to fall in love, and I was too young to know. But she was too young to fall in love, and I was too young. To
1: Ah, that was the smooth vocal tones of Mr. Sam Cooke, who died very, very young in a a violent death. But boy, could he sing, and was he popular. He really was. Sam Cooke, You're Only 16, one of the many songs of that era about teenage angst. I'll play one more as we go out. But in the meantime, I just want to thank you for stopping by. Appreciate it very much. I hope you enjoyed our episode of Dragnet on our Wednesday Mystery Detective Show. And tomorrow we wrap things up on a Thursday with a great old-time radio western. And we got a good one for you tomorrow. And I'm going to give you a hint. Yes, it is an episode of Gunsmoke. So we'll have that coming up for you tomorrow. All right, everybody. This is Bob Bro. I thank you again for stopping by, and I am just so glad you met me.
4: of love and desire How come every time she kisses me It sets my soul on fire How come every time she leaves me It seems like I've lost a part I may be too young to marry But not to hide an aching heart But I'm gonna get married my name she'll carry. But not smart enough to hide an aching heart. How come every time she kisses me, it thrills me from head to toe? How come every time I see her, it lifts me right off the floor? And holler and brought my head into a door. Johnny, but I'm gonna get married. You're so young. My name she'll carry. You're so smart, but not smart enough to hide.